Okay, so just lay out the problem for me. So last week, I got an email that this website was having a big sale. And I go to the website. There's like this black leather backpack. And I cannot think of one scenario where I would need a black leather backpack. In fact, that sounds like a horrible, sweaty, very sweaty idea. (laughs) But I bought it. And instead of using it, it is just sitting in a box on my dresser for weeks. And guess how much it was, Charles? I don't even... The bag was $300. How frequently does that happen? How often do I get the temptation of a deal? Every day. And, and how often do you actually go and buy something? This week, I've done it twice. And, and today's just Wednesday. Like, there's only been two and a quarter days so far this week. Honestly, Charles, I've bought things three times this week. <laughs> <laughs> From the New York Times, I'm Charles Duhigg, and this is Change Agent. A few years ago, I wrote this book named The Power of Habit, and it's about how habits work and how people can change them. And pretty soon after it came out, I started hearing from all of these people who would contact me and say, hey, I've got this problem in my life, and I was wondering if you could help me solve it. And that was kind of unexpected, because I'm not a therapist. I'm a journalist. But I do come across these stories all the time from the worlds of science and business and social psychology, Stories that that seem to offer these clues into how we can fix some of the problems that everyone faces. And so I started to develop this hypothesis that if we can find the right story for the right person, maybe we can figure out how to solve these problems together. And so today, we're talking to Ashley. I am a comedian, so I perform at night, and I'm a writer during the day, so... She lives uh, in Brooklyn with her boyfriend. She just got her first real TV writing job with the National Geographic Channel. And so far this week, Ashley has bought some extra sheets from JCPenney, some makeup that she doesn't really need, and... Another round of Disney pins. A set of Walt Disney enamel pins. Just make sure I understand, this is like a pin for your clothes? Yes, it's a pin for your clothes. And there's this whole pin trading world where if you're at Disney World, you can go up to staff members and trade pins with them. It's like a fun way to meet people. I should also say that I am not a Disney freak, but I am a Disney <laughs> pin freak. Are you are you planning on going to Disney World sometime soon? I am not. I have no plan to trade pins at any point in the near future. So you're just you're stockpiling. Yes, in case of the apocalypse, I have some sweet pins that I will trade (laughs) for supplies. So so you come home every day to, like, this pile of boxes on your doorstep. What I do is I have multiple locations throughout New York and New Jersey where I have things delivered. I'm just, like, spreading it. I'm a thin layer of my shame all over New York and New Jersey. But eventually you have to bring the boxes home, right? What do you do with them? I usually hide them in the closet. I'm a little embarrassed. 
because I sense that other people have self-control when it comes to discounts. And you feel like you don't? I don't make enough money to be spending it in this fashion. And so I would like to control that. I'd like to control my urge to shop online. The way this show works is we're going to put Ashley on hold for a little while, and we're going to turn to reporter Annie Brown, who found a story that might help Ashley. And I found somebody who developed a technique to control an urge that everybody has. (laughs) What is that? That's me, learning how to hold my breath for a really long time. After the break, we're going to hear how Annie did it. And then we're going to do a little experiment with Ashley to see if those techniques can work for her. My name is Thomas Gibbons. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, You're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, checking with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think, is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. We're back with a story we think can help Ashley. And it starts on Vancouver Island with reporter Annie Brown. Uh, We're at the home of Kirk Kroc and Mandy Ray Crookshank, who are going to train me in holding my breath today. Hey! How's it going? Annie. Annie, nice to meet you. Kirk Kroc has this strong jaw and tanned face. He looks a little bit like David Hasselhoff. Here's some coffee if you'd like. And he trains all kinds of people to hold their breath. So how long can you hold your breath underwater? A little training with the world's best-known freediver. Mostly he trains freedivers, those people who go scuba diving without a tank. I worked with this amazing, like, freediver. His name's Kirk, and I called him Captain Kirk. And anyway. But he also trains professional surfers. He trains people in the military. And he trains actors like Tom Cruise. How long can you hold your breath for underwater? Six and a half minutes. <gasps> to record whole scenes underwater. And we wanted to do it in one shot, so there were very... very and to understand how crazy all of this breath-holding stuff is, you've got to go back about a hundred years. The great Harry Houdini. He trained like an athlete for underwater escape. He learned to utilize a limited supply of oxygen by... Houdini's the person who was known to do four-minute breath holds. And so once again, the question was asked, how did he do it? Must be a trick, right? That it's not possible, it's a magic trick. Right, like breaking four minutes seems like impossible. <laughs> right, that world record it was there for a long time. But around 1990, things start to shift. We barely get to five minutes and then six, six and a half, seven, eight, then suddenly we're at 11 and a half. 
Turns out you can go a lot longer than this if you're huffing pure oxygen beforehand. But on one natural breath, we're at 11 and a half minutes. And what's really nuts is that Kirk thinks we can go even further. Right now, it seems so far into the future to break 15 minutes or even 20. Let's look at a 20-minute breath hold. No, that's crazy. Well, that seems crazy. That seems impossible. But it will be done. You think so? For sure. Without brain damage. Because, and well, most importantly, yeah. without brain damage, right? I looked into this, and there's not a lot of science on it. But the research that has been done doesn't show any conclusive evidence of brain damage. So how did we get from four minutes to 11 and a half? The physiology hasn't changed in a person. Like, our bodies haven't changed. Our lungs haven't gotten any bigger. A lot of it comes down to this one big shift. What we're really good at now is coaching the, the psychology of it. The body will take you so far, the mind's got to carry you and the body the rest of the way. Um, Mandy, are you done? Mandy's Kirk's wife. Yeah, come on down. And she's broken seven world records in breath holding and free diving. <laughs> I'm a little bit competitive. So Kirk and Mandy have been at the center of this psychological training. And it all started for them at a scuba shop in 1994. I managed to dive shop for nine years. At that time, I was heavy into technical scuba diving. It's like lots of tanks, mixed gases that get you down really, really deep. And so I'd come in and do my gas fills at her dive shop. Yeah, it was always kind of looking at him and like, oh, the butterflies. We went out on a couple of dates and then I moved away to the Cayman Islands. Then he moved back and it was all about no tanks. And he was free diving this and free diving that. And uh, he's very convincing. Kirk convinced Mandy to start to train in breath holding. I was a synchronized swimmer when I was younger and I thought, well, I used to be able to hold my breath. We'll give it a try. But when Mandy started to train... I remember Mandy in, in her first course. I mean, here's a synchronized swimmer that I thought was going to actually do pretty good. And then, you know, at a relatively short time, she came up and took one breath, took her mask off and walked away. She's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> it was hard. It's just you floating there, not breathing, thinking, I'm not breathing. Oh, this isn't comfortable. I should be breathing now. Kirk says that at the time, the training was very technical. Kirk always bugged me because he just can turn off his brain. Mine never stops. So we had to start to figure out some of the psychology behind it. How do we calm this mind down? They started studying these moments where other sports get really psychological, like free throws in basketball or the last mile of a marathon. They studied Eastern religions and military psychology. And so every other day we went to the pool and we worked on the mental aspect, get your head into the game. Within a few weeks? I'd start to notice that I would just be able to stay relaxed longer. Mandy was holding her breath longer than Houdini. So they decided to go for the world record. It was 2002, and no woman had ever held her breath longer than six minutes and two seconds. Mandy trained with Kirk for a month to beat this time. And then the morning of her world record attempt, she's at the pool with Kirk and two judges. I take my final breath and then just slowly let myself fall into the water. And the first minute feels great. You just feel like jello, a piece of jello sort of jiggling in the water. She gets to three minutes. Starts to get harder and harder. Four minutes. And you're just holding out for that last little bit. Five minutes. It's like, ooh, 
And the whole time, she's listening to this waterproof FM radio. And then just before the end, a new song comes on. You know, like, all right, coming up. I can feel the magic flow. Faith Hill. And then the song slowly comes on. You're like, oh, no. It's like, wow. He can make this any harder for me, right? At that point, it was feeling so hard that I was like, you know, I'm not going further. And then finally, Kirk said to me, you know, like, okay, that's it. We had made the record. It was a huge, a huge feat to overcome myself mentally for it. Somehow Kirk and Mandy are going to teach me in one afternoon to do what Mandy did. I'm like, (laughs) I'm that person who's afraid of doing the thing and... I don't believe it's going to happen for me. I don't think I'm going to overcome this. You, you will hit three minutes. If you're not doing three minutes, it's you mentally not letting yourself do it. But before we get into the training, there's something you should know about me. I've had a fear of drowning my whole life. Like when I was eight, I used to be afraid that it would rain so hard that the rain would cover the house and I would drown in my sleep. But then when I was 16, my sister was at a college swim practice. She had a seizure and fell in the pool, and there wasn't a lifeguard on duty. So she drowned. That was 10 years ago. And what's weird is that I didn't even think about this when I started reporting this story. I don't know. I think I'm just really good at keeping that separate from the rest of my life. But then, about a week before I met Kirk and Mandy... I started having nightmares. I would be holding my breath in them or being held underwater, and I would wake up like, shit, I'm really gonna have to do this. And before I knew it, I was in Canada. You're gonna do these breath holds on a full lung of air, face down. On Kirk Croc's couch. Exhale. I didn't tell Kirk about this history of mine. Honestly, I didn't even think to tell him. I was doing that compartmentalizing thing. So we started off with the physical training. Just learning how to take a really big breath in and exhale correctly. And then I laid down on the couch and Kirk timed me as I held my breath for as long as I could. Ready? Here we go. Breathe in from diaphragm, chest, shoulders, and hold. So now just swallow. You're feeling like you're holding the air in at the throat. Okay. Eyes I could closed. barely make it to a minute. <sighs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so that was, that was perfect. At some point, everyone will get the urge to breathe. Mm-hmm. Ideally, we want it to happen as diaphragmatic contractions. At See, what happens is when you hold your breath for a long time, your diaphragm starts convulsing. It's kind of like having the hiccups without breathing. So you get that involuntary sort of heave. And then as the, the minutes progress, they come more frequently. So, so let me ask, I mean, outside of feeling the urge to breathe, right? Yeah. Is there anything else that runs through your head at that point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm like, I can't make it. Like, you didn't take a good enough breath. It's not, you're not, you can't do this. So that's those monkeys. Monkeys. 
That's what Kirk and Mandy call the voice in your head that tells you to breathe. We've always called them the monkeys. You know, the kid's toy with the monkey that had the symbols and it had the evil stare and the thing would scream and bang the symbols together. Eek! Jing, 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 jing. Poking you the whole time or tugging on your arm. Mandy, 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 listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. (laughs) So this is where the psychological training starts. Kirk and Mandy realized that the urge to breathe and the monkey are actually totally separate. You can't make the urge go away, but you can stop that monkey if you have a plan. So the first thing to do when the monkey shows up is to relax your body. Focus on relaxing it. Thinking like you've stretched a rubber band and then you're relaxing the rubber band, okay? Then the next step is to distract yourself. And Kirk has all these ways to do that. One would be, for example, the letter A. How many people do I know with the name the letter A? You know, I know Annie, I know Alex. And when you can't figure out anyone from A, then skip letter D. And then there's another one where you pack for a vacation in your mind. Grabbing the suitcase down, putting in however many pair of socks and shirts and try and do that in real time. There are a lot of other, more advanced things to do, but this is the gist of the psychological training for the afternoon. So for three hours, I practiced relaxing my body and distracting myself. And then Kirk said, Get ready and we'll go to the pool and we'll put this into practice there. Sound good? Okay. We're at the pool at the hotel I'm staying at. There are a couple families in there. The moms are in bikinis and the kids are doing cannonballs off the side. And me, I'm strapping on a hooded wetsuit and goggles. So that's the mask you'll use. Um, pretty simple and straightforward. Up until this point, I was really doing pretty well. Super focused on the plan and not thinking about my sister. But walking into the pool area, the air is thick with chlorine. It smells like her swim practices, and I start to get that tightening in my chest when I think about her. Pause, pause. And I want you to let the water do the work. You relax as much as possible. I slip into the water and I take some deep breaths. There we go. And now we breathe in diaphragm, chest, shoulders, neck, and hold. And then I go under. Let your arms fall down by your side. From underwater, I can hear Kirk talking me through it. Let your head sink into the water. My heartbeat is slow. The water feels like it's hugging every part of me. It's kind of nice. Kirk taps my shoulder and asks for a signal. Minute 30, good signal. I move my finger to show him I'm still conscious. And then I get my first contraction. I like the way those contractions are happening. And the monkey comes with it. You're not going to make it. You definitely don't have this. But I've got my plan. Relaxing the hips, lower back and stomach. Two minutes. So now the contractions are coming more and more, and the monkey's getting louder, and I'm just trying to relax. I want you to grab your luggage, and you're going to pack everything you need to go to Paris. Okay, my luggage. Uh, I keep my luggage under the bed. I'm pulling it out. I'm unzipping it. All of your clothes. I'm really trying to pack this one wool coat in my mind, but every time a contraction comes, my luggage just vanishes. 2.30. Now 
Nicely done. Here we go. You're at it. At this point, I can't even think about the luggage. It's too much. It just feels like I'm at battle with myself. There's three minutes. Doing great, Annie. That's perfect. That's beautiful. Almost a couple more seconds. There, you got it. There. And it's really getting hard. And then I see my sister. Or I feel my sister. I feel like I am her. Floating face down in the water where they found her. And the whole plan goes out the window. Breathe. 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 It was strange. I felt giddy coming out of the water. 337. Oh my god. So. It was a good fight at the end. I really was fighting. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I came to Vancouver Island to learn how to control an urge. But something else happened in the pool that I wasn't expecting. That image of my sister is one I'm really familiar with. I think about it a lot. Except this time, in the pool, I was in the picture. And I felt closer to her more intimate with what happened. And for that brief moment, I'm grateful. But even though I learned how to control this urge, I am never going to do it again. Reporter Annie Brown. We're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we'll do our experiment with Ashley and see if these techniques can help her get some control over her shopping. That is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Does um, does this feel like something you could actually use? We brought Ashley into our studio and played her Annie's story. It does feel like it's something I could apply, but I wonder if I will. It's like there's a part of me that's like, you could do that, but then you wouldn't have all those jeans. <laughs> Maybe that's the evil monkey. So let's, let's come up with a plan. Yes. So the email appears in your inbox. Right. 20% off. Yes. All the towels you could possibly want. Yes. What are you going to do? Well, I guess the first thing I'll do is take a deep breath. Okay. And then I'll pull my shoulders down. And then I'm going to listen to a song. Okay. What yeah. song? I'm going to listen to a Fiona Apple song. You can still shop while listening to a Fiona Apple Uh, song, so... Maybe I will get up and get a glass of water while listening to the song. Okay. So nothing online. Nothing. Wow. What about if this stuff is already in my Amazon cart (laughs) and I just haven't pressed... No. ...purchase? Okay, no. Still can't. Ooh! (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is Ashley. For the next month, I asked her to tape herself whenever she felt the urge to buy something online. Recording this in the stairwell because I am at work. And then she came back into the studio to talk to us. The first time I got an email. So I just got an email from this company I really like that is doing a special giveaway. They were doing a crazy promotion where you got like this free gift basket. I did get like this itchy feeling. And I really wanted the free gift basket. The evil monkey came out. It's like, get it, girl. I need this. This is a thing that I use, and I got to have it, and like, get it, girl. If I get it, then I also get this, and then get it, girl. But I pulled out my headphones and started to listen 
to a Fiona Apple song. Which was kind of weird because I am at work. And I like sit at a big round table where we all look at each other and talk to each other. So one person pulling out their headphones and disconnecting abruptly was strange. I stopped listening to the song and instead got up and got a glass of water. But did it distract you from the the discount email you had gotten? Yeah, it definitely did. The feeling of awkwardness distracted me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the next time, so, so does it get easier the next time? It does. Um, so sort of same scenario. I'm in my favorite stairwell. I just got an email, like a early bird special discount. And so I did the same thing, uh, minus Fiona. I relaxed my shoulders and I got up and went to get a glass of water. And now I am drinking my water. And then it just felt, it didn't feel so necessary. I did not buy anything. I didn't even click on the link. So that's pretty cool. Oh, it's like just doing that thing broke the spell. It does feel a little bit like a spell is broken. I just felt like so in charge. So just to make sure I'm getting this straight, you haven't bought anything online in the last month? I did not buy one thing online, sort of. I <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the like. <laughs> um, so our plan worked when okay. it came to emails. Something that I did not anticipate was Instagram. I don't know if, how into Instagram you are. I, I, I like Instagram. Okay, so I guess what I'm saying is, do you follow vintage stores in Brooklyn that have your credit card on file? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I don't, I, I, so I I'm going to pull out here and explain because I had never heard of this before. Apparently, some stores will post a product they're selling on Instagram, and if you're the first person to comment on it, They'll just automatically charge your card and send it to you. Stuff was I saw a shirt that I knew was perfect, meant to be, and then I was like, I'm just going to pull the trigger and get it. it. That was a truly being under a spell. And it didn't occur to me until after, but only because I didn't plan for it. Can I tell you what the, the research, because it's kind yeah. of interesting. A lot of what we know about recognizing these spells and yeah. when... When this process breaks down, when we kind of fall into the trap, um, comes from studies of people who smoke. Because mm. um, what's interesting is that most people try and quit smoking seven times before they succeed. And like seven real times, right? Like giving up cigarettes for like a month or six months. And, and what often happens is that they find something that works and then there will be a moment of stress. Like their mother-in-law's in town or they or had a hard day at work. And they'll basically forget how to recognize the spell. They'll forget mm. to pay attention to, like, what the point of failure was. And they'll, like, start noticing how they react to things. They'll be like, oh, like, I'm going to my mother-in-law's tonight, so this time I need a plan. That actually failure is part of change because it helps us learn how to recognize the spell. Mm. So let me ask, so, so going forward, do you think you're going to go right back to the online shopping? I don't. Let me let me couch this a little bit. I do imagine I'll go back to it to some degree, but just not to the same intensity. Because something has been taken away. The magic is gone. Like, I think I imagine before online shopping beforehand as having, like, a lot of control over me. But now it seems like a flimsy paper doll almost. Does that feel good? It feels powerful. Yeah, it feels great.
Change Agent is produced by Annie Brown and Alexandra Lee Young and hosted by Charles Duhigg. Wendy Dore edited the show with Larissa Anderson, who's also the managing producer. Lisa Tobin is our executive producer, and Samantha Hennig is our editorial director. Eddie Cooper composed our theme song, and Andrew Dunn and Brad Fisher engineered this episode. Special thanks to Sam Dolnick, Andy Mills, and Pierre-Antoine Louis 